Fanon. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action! Everyone, it is time that Restaurant Fiction breaks down and reviews the Lanford Lunchbox. And we dipped deep into our arsenal of who we could bring on from the Lanford Lunchbox. Oh, do you not know what the Lanford Lunchbox is? Have you not ever went to the Lanford Lunchbox? Well, guess what? It is the fictional restaurant featured in the 1990s sitcom Roseanne. That's right. And there is a quintessential sandwich, which we will get to it, that really brings the whole sitcom together and really represents what Roseanne is. Yes, you think it is because of the family you think it is because of the lead characters no it is because of the fictional restaurant and it is because of the sandwich and who did we bring along none other than burger scholar himself george moats who is george moats well guess what pretty much when you have a question about a burger he is the burger scholar uh people have coined him, the Burger Scholar, for over a decade now, he has a new restaurant coming to New York called Hamburger America. He just had a cookbook pretty much published and dis- distributed all across America. I think also the world. I'm not sure. Check your Amazon. Check wherever. Check your local independent bookstore, your cookbook store, your library. Anyway, it is called The Great American Burger Book. Also, he is featured on First We Feast, the same uh, platform that hosts amazing content, amazing food content like the ever-so-popular Hot Ones. George Motes is on the Restaurant Fiction Podcast to talk about the loose meat sandwich and to review the Lanford lunchbox on restaurant fiction. The podcast that reviews every single fictional restaurant bar and club in TV and film. And I am very honored that George took the time. I'm very humbled. Oh yeah. My name is Monis Rose. Anyway, let's get to it. Let's get to know George. Let's get to know the loose meat sandwich. Let's bring it all back. To the Lanford Lunchbox. Go. For all of our listeners out there with restaurant fiction, this is going to be a very, very short review. This We're just going to cut it to brass tacks. We're not going to put any kind of flowery restaurant review that we normally do into this restaurant. Because why? We're talking about a sandwich. We're talking about America's sandwich. Now, that could be the burger or it even could be say a spinoff of the burger called the loose meat sandwich who specializes in loose meat sandwich it is of all places in a suburban community in illinois called the lanford lunchbox now basically what is the loose meat sandwich well it's pretty much a sloppy joe without the slop and without the joe like that's 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 really it. So you take the 
take all that tomato sauciness out of it. Uh, it's still cafeteria style. So let's not, you know, it's still, uh, hey, you're in grade school and boom, this is what you're serving. This is what the lunch lady is slinging cafeteria style, like boom. It's everything without that cafeteria style cookie. Now, what are the ingredients of a loose meat sandwich? Well, you got, you know, your beef broth and you've got your butter and you've got your onions and you got your vinegar and your Worcestershire sauce. If I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly in the steam bun, the Lanford lunchbox serves this in no frills. You know, I mean, uh, I, I come from blue collar. So this is a blue collar place. It is a no collar place. This is a white collar place. Any kind of collar can actually come to the Lanford lunchbox and you eat and hopefully you do get served because, you know, sometimes you never know whether the customer service at the Lanford lunchbox is going to be good or not, whether the, uh, the, the hospitality, the front of the house woke up on the right side of the bed. And those are chances you take. And those are chances worth taking. All right. So that is our very quick, short and snappy review. Brass tax review of the Lanford Lunchbox featured in the OG sitcom Roseanne. We are talking to burger extraordinaire, uh, influencer of all sorts, food documentarian, cinematographer, George Motes. George, uh, what is your take on that review? What do you have to add? What do you have to dissect? The floor is yours. It was not a great pronunciation of Worcestershire. That's all I have to say. <laughs> it was a, definitely a valiant effort. Nice work. <laughs> Other than that, great review of, of Lanford Lunchbox. You know, this it's, also, Illinois is where it was located, but I don't know if you know, should we talk about the history of the um, loose meat sandwich? Because this Absolutely. wasn't. I, no, it's an Iowa thing. Isn't it like a Sioux City, Iowa thing? Absolutely. It's, it was started in Iowa, from what I understand. I actually don't think it was invented in Iowa. I think it was just, it, it managed to become very famous uh, and very popular in Iowa, and it affected all the states around it. So if you've got Kansas on one side and you've got Illinois on the other, um, it's, it definitely has affected other states around it, but there's no question about it that the core of the loose meat sandwich is in Iowa, uh, because there's, there's a very important company that has, that has made it very famous called the Made Right. And it's spelled oddly, instead of M-A-D-E, right, it's M-A-I-D. Someone who might clean your house, for example, R-I-T-E. So strange spelling for something that is, you know, it doesn't really describe what the sandwich is at all. But that has become synonymous with the name of the sandwich. Uh, at Lanford, Lanford Lunchbox, they refer to it as a loose meat sandwich. Loose meats. I think they also refer to it as a tavern, don't they? Or a canteen. Yes, yeah. they, call, they call it a tavern or a canteen. It actually has many names. There's a reason why it's called the canteen, too, by the way. Because they actually got their idea from a, a real place in Ottumwa, Iowa, called the Canteen Lunch. And so that's why their sandwich at the canteen is called, it's called I'm going to go get a canteen. That's where it comes from. That is that is awesome. So what do you love most about Lanford Lunchbox and loose meat sandwiches? I think the one thing I love about Lanford Lunchbox is that it it told the story, became a character of the show, and it became a character that was perfectly quirky for that show. I mean, the show was very funny. The show was a perfect sitcom where they they would talk about, you know, subjects that were, you know, somewhat mildly taboo and make them very funny in a Midwestern way. I think it was, it was very, it was very, it was a dead on show, dead on sitcom for the Midwest that just describe the comedic sensibilities of the Midwest. And it was perfect. That they would have included this loose meat sandwich because I'm telling you, and you know this too, outside of 
Iowa, pretty much nobody knows what the hell a loose meat sandwich is in the first place. And it became part of the joke. <laughs> That's what I love about it. But what I personally like about it, the fact that they've chosen, that they did choose back then, the loose meat sandwich, was that it, that helped keep this sort of tradition, uh, this weird, wacky tradition of a loose meat sandwich alive. Um, to me, that's very important because the loose meat sandwich is part of hamburger history. Even though it's technically not a hamburger, it is. It still has all of the qualities of a hamburger without being uh, this without being a formed patty. You still it's served on a bun, a hamburger bun. It's usually in a place like Lanford. It was served, you know, a nothing more than mustard, pickle, and onion, and that was it. That's all you. That's all you'd get. That's what you'd get at canteen lunch. That's what you'd get if you went to Maidright. That's what you'd get if you go to the New Way in Kansas. I could go on and on. Walk me through the George Moat loose meat sandwich special that you're feeding the community, you're feeding your children. It's so basic that it's it's ridiculous. All you're doing is taking, instead of forming a patty and putting it in a pan, you're taking meat and, and crumbling it up, loose meat, <laughs> crumbling it up and cooking it in a pan in its own fat. Then you drain the fat off. You crumble it and drain the fat off. You add nothing more than salt. A traditional loose meat sandwich is nothing more than salt. Some of the places out there will actually put some kind of seasoning in there. You can do that too, but then you're you're getting away from the traditional loose meat sandwich, which is really nothing more than steamed crumbled beef and that is served on a hamburger roll with mustard, pickle, and raw onion, and that's it. What is the George Moat's dream fictional restaurant? I will tell you exactly what it is. And I haven't really I've I haven't talked about this in years. So thanks for bringing it back up again. It's not a TV show, not a movie. I'm actually working. I have been working on a musical for Broadway. <laughs> I have a great idea for a story. It's a pretty, pretty, it's one of the common plots, you know, in, in fictional writing. Um, but it's a, it's a story where I'm, it's the name of the play is called Max Lunch. And it's a place that's only open for about an hour and a half, five days a week, closed on the weekend. No one knows why, but it, it's a four stool diner. That's on one side of the stage. And it's run by three generations of a family. It's grandpa, dad, and the son. And it's a very basic story where, you know, you meet all the characters in the first act. They're coming in the door. There's only four stools, so people have to wait. But the lunch is fast. The people come and go quickly. All of the stories in Max Lunch uh, are based on all of the stories and the things I've heard in my own studies where I've I've gone through hundreds and hundreds of hamburger restaurants that have the craziest, you know, we, we close at 7.50 PM, you know, <laughs> why is that? Why not eight o'clock? That's because the curfew back in the day was eight o'clock and people needed 10 minutes to get home on their horse or something like that. And I was like, you hear these <laughs> crazy stories, you know, this is Jim. Jim loves eating here because he has no teeth and it's a very soft burger. You know, I, I'm going to take all the stories that I have from my studies of Hamburger America and put this into this one play. Should I keep going with the plot? It gets better. Please. Yeah. Tell me more. The floor is yours. Yeah. No one can steal this. This is mine. No, it's already, we've already gone, we've already gone through all the ideation. At the end of the first act, you realize that the restaurant's done. Uh, it's going to close. After all, you've learned about these old folks that you can't, they have no teeth and can't, like the soft burger. You've learned all the stories and the histories, the history of the actual restaurant. You find out that the dad has actually made a deal and he sold the, the, the restaurant to somebody else so they can make way for a big, I think it's like a, we're going to talk about making an HVAC at the corner of a parking lot. It's a tiny little place just for a, for a big box store. They're going to lose the restaurant. So you, you, you leave, you actually leave the, the theater and you go to an intermission burger. Uh, there's a big burger served in, in the lobby. And then you realize this, but this is gone. You have this, this sense that it can't happen. And the next, the, 
<laughs> I love the look on your face, by the way. The next, uh, the next thing you find out when you go back in to watch the second act is that they are now people are saying you can't. This is this is part of our history. This is part of this town. You can't just it can't go away. And I said, why not? We made a ton of money. And like, so it's, is it about money? Is it about David and Goliath? Is it about what? What? What's what's the solution here? How do we fix this? And at the very end of the play, you find the grandfather who's said nothing because he's very old and, and kind of kind of um, senile. He says, wait a minute, Uncle Joe owns that piece of property over there on the other side of the stage, literally. And they buy the piece of property and they literally physically pick up the restaurant. They slide it across the stage and they live happily ever after. There are stories in Hamburger America, in my hamburger world, where a restaurant has lost a lease or for some reason they had to move and they have physically picked up the building and either dragged it across the property, brought it to another side of town or taken it apart piece by piece and built it somewhere else. That's a real thing. So to me, every story that you hear when you're watching this play is going to be based in reality. I need you to put on your uh, cinematographer, your food documentarian hat for me for a second. You're doing a and this you're doing a food doc which will premiere at the Food Film Festival of the Lanford Lunchbox and its loose meat sandwich. What is your strategy? How are you going to make it? What's the pre-production look like? The production, the post? Yeah. T- walk me through, you know, you're doing a just a special or this could be for your next documentary on Burgers in America. I would keep it as a documentary. I, I would uh, I would want to have the realness of the people come through because people, you know, you can make up characters. And yeah, obviously, Roseanne was a character herself. But the reality is, if you point a camera at somebody, any anybody who lives and works and breathes this hamburger world, you're going to get some crazy stuff. You get some great stuff. I mean, I've done it before, and it really is amazing. Uh, if you let people speak themselves, you'd be surprised. You have no idea what they're going to say, and those actually, that actually becomes a great part of the story. You know, a lot of times you watch television. They, there's lots of voiceover and you know lots of setup interviews, and they have questions. You know, blah blah blah, and it becomes very canned. If you let the people just speak, and then you edit what you have, you'd be amazed at what they come up with. They say the greatest shit. I mean, it's unbelievable. So to me, it's like, if, you, if, if they can't tell the story, then you don't have a story. <laughs> it's like, kudos to you. What are your tips and tricks of, you know, getting anyone, you know, to open up, become vulnerable on camera and also develop a rapport? There's a trick I do have. I just did this uh, recently. So I'm doing research from one of my next book right now. Whenever you walk into a restaurant and talk to them just on paper, asking questions about, you know, how's the burger made? How long has it been open? Who owned it? Blah, blah, blah. They give you the canned answers. Oh, yeah. And someone drove through the window drunk one night. And it's the same stuff. Oh, you want this history? It's on the back of the menu. And you're reading the back. Oh, that's great. Great. I can I could have I could have done that myself. Thanks. I could look at the back of the menu. But the trick is if you hang out from I've noticed it's over an hour. The, the time is actually one hour. If you spend more than an hour with somebody in a restaurant, owner or some character, I can guarantee that at the hour mark, they look at you like, what are you still doing here? And then you start to, you start, they start to open up. It takes about an hour. And the way I do it is I start looking around the restaurant and I say, oh, what's that? Why is, why are those boxing gloves hanging from the ceiling? Oh, that's funny. That was supposed to be a guy who drank at the bar. He was a boxer and he punched some guy in the face. And then you start getting all the real stories, all the good stories. You know, I was was sitting at a bar the other day in Atlanta and someone said, behind that sign, there's a target and a bunch of gunshots because they used to sit here at the bar and, and like and, and shoot a 22 rifle at the wall back in the 50s. And some guy, old guy was like, I didn't know that. I didn't even know that story. 
Amazing. So you, if you sit there long enough, you will begin to get great stories. I love that. I love that. And I mean, moving away. So you also do, you know, you're, you're an influencer of sorts, you know, you're on YouTube. What is the trick of always being engaging to your audience? Cause I feel that is, that is a gift. That is a skill to constantly be engaged. Like when you were on Jimmy Fallon, both you and him, like people don't understand, like to be, to be on like that all of the time, Yeah, you know, yeah. What are your tips and tricks for that? I actually, it's funny. I don't know. I, I can tell you though, that you know, I do a lot of research before I start a show. I have a lot of facts in front of me. I, we just did a show. I just recorded a show for um, uh, snacked on first week feast. And you know, a lot of people go on that show and they just talk about why they like a snack. And they're being asked questions about the director about like, was this, what's this says memory for you as a child. And, but I actually went a little deeper. I was trying I, I'm, I'm a historian. I like to be, make sure people understand that there's a great history behind just about everything. There's a history behind everything you do, you wear, you say, you smell, you eat. Everything has a history to it. I have to lock into it. We were talking specifically about Doritos. Does anybody in the room know the history of the Dorito? Crickets. Nobody, no one knew where the Dorito came from. They assume it just comes from the store and I go buy it and eat it. No, 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 no. It actually has a really cool history. It was invented by a guy in a restaurant at Disneyland in 1964. <laughs> they were just trying to find a way to get to use leftover tortillas, so they cut them into, into, into quarters, which made that shape, dropped in the deep fryer, and the Dorito was born. And I find that totally fascinating. So yes, yeah, so if you can actually have just a, just a list, the, the tiniest bit of information that takes that thing you're talking about one step further, that's engaging. Also, for all of our listeners out there, if they ever need great fire starter when camping, use Doritos. Cool Ranch Doritos, light them up, and boom, that gets the wood. Come fire. on. Yeah, kidding I, me? Really? I, I am not kidding you at all. Like, yes, exactly. Don't, That's don't awesome. Know, yeah, you don't want to know what's currently what's currently in Dorito, but for whatever reason, you want fire starter, you don't need to use lighter fluid. No, you use Doritos. I didn't know. That's great. Wow. Okay, there you go. I'd rather eat them, though. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about this new burger burger restaurant. So tell me about it. It's fine. So we're opening in the summer. Um, and let's talk about sense memory. This is literally going to be a piece of a living history. The idea is that when you walk into Hamburger America, the also name also named the name of the restaurant, when you walk into the restaurant, you are taken back. But you're not really taken that far back. You're not taken back to kitschy, you know, this this is oh 1954. No, it's just you feel like you're in a very familiar place that feels very comfortable. Uh, the idea is that we're trying to build a place that that feels familiar, but still is a fairly modern place. Modern? I mean, all the recipes in the, in the restaurant are taken from somewhere else. Uh, they're an approximation of the places that I love so much in my personal hamburger America. And I don't mean just um, just hamburgers. We're also going to have a very, you know, very important, historically important drinks on the menu. I mean, obviously soda that kind of thing. But we're also going to have milk. People don't really have milk on <laughs> menus anymore. We're going to have chocolate milk, coffee milk. I don't know if you know what coffee milk is, but it's it's the specialty of Rhode Island. Uh, we're going to have an actual coffee syrup that goes into coffee milk. It's, you know, it's not just going to be a coffee with lots of milk in it. It's like a chocolate milk, but with coffee syrup. And then there's the Israeli mocha milk, which is a combination of chocolate and coffee syrup together in milk. It's fantastic. It's a good milk program we have got going for sure. We're going to have the, there's a lemonade that comes from other places out in Sheepshead Bay. We're going to basically make the same lemonade. It's you know very fairly evocative, fairly simple, but at the same time, it's very familiar. 
you took your burger on the road. You had a bunch of pop-ups pretty much all over the world. Uh, what made you settle for New York? Why not any other of the awesome cities you went to? Well, I live here. Mm. <laughs> like, easy, sure easy. I, was, I was close to home. You know, but the burger I chose, though, to feature on the menu is not a New York burger at all. It is something called the Oklahoma Fried Onion Burger. And that's going to be the core of the menu. And I've been making this burger at pop-ups. I've made probably 30,000 30, in the last uh, two or three years. It's been incredible. Just the pop-ups and big events. Um, I've done Complex Con in, in Long Beach. I've done, uh, I've done events in, in uh, Paris, um, uh, Stockholm, Copenhagen, you name it. And I've had the greatest time doing it. It's been so much fun. But I've only made that one burger, the Oklahoma Fred Onion Burger. And there's a reason why. It's because to me, that is the, one of the closest burgers to the, the original American hamburger. Uh, it, the, you know, where before there was ketchup and mustard and everything else, onion was the, basically the first condiment. <laughs> so at, at some point, uh, just before the Depression started, people started to press thin sliced onions into beef and create this flavor bomb, basically. It was incredible incredible flavor for a burger um, with, with the basically 50-50 beef to onion. And that was ha that happened in Oklahoma in 1922. And since then, you still go, you go to Oklahoma and you ask for an onion burger. It's still there. It's the same damn burger 100 years later. So that's why I've been making the burger. To me, it has, to me that burger has, um, has great, uh, great roots uh, in American hamburger history. And that's I feel like this is one of the most important burgers I could be making. How did the burger become your thing? Like not the pizza, not pasta, not a taco. Yeah, the burger. It was actually a complete fluke. I'm a filmmaker first. I, I was uh, director of photography, local 600 director of photography in the union for 26 years. And I've shot, I've been shot shooting films and documentaries and television commercials forever. And as a, just as a side project, I decided to bring a camera with me. Back then, it was a Sony PD-150, which is a tiny little mini DV camera, but a, like a semi-professional, prosumer, they call it. A, it was a prosumer model. And I brought this thing on the road with me when I went to go and do big film television commercials. And I would say, guys, I'm going to go over here and check out this, this, this hamburger place and do some filming. I ended up making a, a film called Hamburger America way, way back when. But I was a filmmaker first. I was the director of photography. And I'm not really focused on, on American culture, per se. But I realized that once I started putting these, this film together, that it was, it, was, it was a real deal. It made me realize how there are so many great stories out there. And I shifted over to hamburgers. Couldn't believe it. And it was just a total fluke. And people started to say to me, oh, you're a, you're a hamburger expert. I said, no, 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 I'm a filmmaker. And they said, well, you know all these things about hamburgers. And then I, I started getting my, asked my opinion. I'd go on the news, talk about hamburgers. And I actually did, I did the, the research. So it did make sense how I became that. But it wasn't originally supposed to be hamburgers. I guess I could have chosen anything. It could have been anything. But just coincidentally, it was hamburgers. George, I'm not going to lie. I was pretty much blown away. I was blown away by your knowledge, by your passion. Uh, this episode honestly, truly made me hungry. Even if I never did a single lick of research on you, I could just tell from the conversation, you know burgers, my friend. And also, you are welcome back anytime to discuss any fictional burger joint featured in TV and film. And there is a plethora of them. I can probably, there's always the Big Kahuna Burger from Pulp Fiction. You know, there's the Bob's Burgers. There's Good Burger. Anyway, the list goes on and on and on. All right. Follow George. See what he's up to. 
go to his Instagram. I mean, that is the latest and greatest news updates, where whereabouts of what he is doing, all the creative, awesome things he is doing to bring joy to not only this beautiful nation, but this beautiful world. And that is at Motes Burger. And it is the one with the blue check mark. That's right. M-O-T-Z. Burger B-U-R-G-E-R. If you want to read his work, well, get his latest and greatest. He has other works as well, but his latest and greatest is the Great American Burger Book. His newest brick and mortar restaurant is called Hamburger America. And that will be opening this summer. He is on the YouTubes with a part of First We Feast. You could check him out there. As for us with Restaurant Fiction, we really appreciate you for listening. And until next time, keep it real, keep it fresh, and keep it on the flip side. Cut to exterior, interior. Restaurant? Bar.